Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogityourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. My guest this time is Matt Milbauer. Matt, how you doing today? Uh, doing great. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to have you on. Thanks for making time. Go ahead and start what we with what we always start off with. Uh, tell everybody where you're calling from and what kind of dog you run. Yeah, so I'm in um, Kennewick, Washington, which is in southeast Washington State. Um, it's it's different than most people think of with Washington State. Usually think of Seattle and the Olympic Peninsula and green and rain, but over here we're in the rain shadow. So it looks more like Nevada or, or Utah with a lot of sagebrush and um, agriculture. Um, so the dogs I run, I right now I have two Springers. So they, uh, I've always been a flushing dog guy. Outside when I was a kid, we had some English pointers. Um, but I just got my first Springer, uh, ooh, geez, about a year ago. Um, a little more for that. She's about 18 months now. And then we picked up a second one, an adult who is two that we just got. So I'm excited to take her out this hunting season as well. So one wasn't so crazy that it alienated the breed for you. It didn't make you want another one. It made you guys want to go hit fast forward and get another one. Yeah. Well, what happened was kind of going back from that is I've always had labs, um, since about, well, it's like a teenager had labs. Um, and I think out here for whatever reason, most, most up, uh, upland hunters have Labradors. It seems like followed maybe by GSPs and Brittany's behind that. But there's a lot of, uh, we're on the Columbia River and the Snake River. Um, and so there's a lot of duck hunting, goose hunting. And so there's a lot of guys, retrievers that also run their dogs for pheasant, quail, chucker, and labs, like a field bred lab kind of makes sense. Um, but I've really gone just into, into the uplands, not really duck hunting that much anymore. So I want to get something a little more specialized and a little smaller than a lab, more of the wife's request than mine to get something a little smaller. <laughs> um, and so I went Springers. I know the first one, um, a lot of energy. Uh, especially as a puppy, which is true of, you know, any kind of working dog, but she, she's uh, very energetic, wants to go, 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 which is great during hunting season. Um, but I was talking to our uh, breeder. I got her from about get another puppy, maybe next spring to, to get some more dog power. And then we ran across um, a different breeder down in Oregon that was downsizing. 
their um, their kennel and they were moving up uh, to uh, Alaska. And they had this female available. Um, she'd uh, been bred once and she um, just a really, really sweet disposition. It's almost like night and day between my two springers while they both have good pedigrees, good noses. I haven't hung with a new one yet, but she looks really promising. Um, um, they're like night and day, like the, the puppy I have, um, well, she's 18 months now, but she, um, she will go, you know, quarter and hunt and hunt very, very hard, overrun things most likely because she's going so fast, what more of the puppy kind of side of it. But then the new, the new Springer, she's more methodical. When I put down, uh, drag out some pheasant scent or something, she gets right on the scent, slowly follows it, you know, finds the wing or the dummy I have there. Whereas my younger Springer, she'll run back and forth over, get whiffs of it, eventually get to the wing as well. But she works a lot harder than than she probably has to compared to the new one. Yeah. So it sounds like you obviously know your dogs very well. What, what you know, one, uh, their strengths and weaknesses. Each dog has has something completely different. And so sure. it's, it's, I tell everybody, especially in your case, where you kind of get an older dog, you know, I get, I just had somebody reach out last week with this question of, you know, hey, I'm getting this. I think in this case, it was a four-year-old dog, you know, uh, what do I do with this? And I'm like, really, in a lot of ways, it's it's no different than a puppy. You, uh, ultimately, you have to get to know that dog first before you can understand fully what needs to be done with that dog, right? So it's just like, it's just getting to know them. So I'm kind of interested when you have a puppy yourself and then you go get a two-year-old dog, how similar was it having a puppy and a started dog in the same house in the same same exact time frame was there a lot of similarities as i kind of think of it in my head kind of so i think one side of this to consider is i think i was very lucky with this new springer the older one um which is weird having the new one being older but the the, the older springer is she um she well she has good drive she has an incredible on off switch so when she's in the house she's just laying there chill wants to take a nap all day will not move unless you ask her to just laying at your feet, which is great or in your lap, which is pretty common with spaniels. But um, outside, she wants to work and play and do all the things. So on that side of it, that's not like a puppy. Like usually the puppies, especially working dogs, are going to have a lot of energy, as especially true with my younger Springer. So um, it's a little different there. But on the training side of it, it is very much the same. So um, like this dog came and she didn't have she wasn't potty trained, but we live in like, you know, a neighborhood on a quarter acre with a yard and fence and a house. The dogs live in the house. So you need to be potty trained. And we were like, that was the biggest question mark for us. I'm like looking at the pedigree. I'm looking at how she's performing, how she's doing, how she's interacting with my dog and everything. I'm like, this is great. And my wife's like, she needs to be potty trained. I'm like, yeah, that's might be a challenge, but she's so <laughs> smart and so willing to please that she figured it out really, really, really fast. Um, that was actually really impressed. We thought this might take a lot of work, but um, yeah, those two things. And I think that's a flush, flushing dog thing. I mean, being smart, that's a lot of our bird dogs are that way, but wanting to please their owner and constantly looking for their owner and the family, potty trained didn't take long at all. So that was kind of that side of it. And then everything else, um, she learned to hup. Um, for those not familiar with, with spaniels, that's kind of sit and stay, it's, it's hup. Um, she learned that immediately. I just did it with her food with the other Springer, who she already has that mastered. And she picked it up right. Like it took like one time of me picking the food bowl back up, like, no, you got to stay there. And then she was like, I got it. And now she hops whenever we ask her to, for the most part. Um, she's still going to pick it up on here. She already had that. So there are some things kind of built in from her previous life, 
with the previous owners, but um, kind of learning the ways of our house and how we do things was very much on the puppy side. Yeah, absolutely. And and that that is like the main thing is you just got to get to know the older dog. Doesn't matter if it's two, four, eight. It, it doesn't matter. You, you still need to get a good feel for that dog's personality mm-hmm. and what they know and don't know. Because the, the challenge really is what do they know? that you don't want them to know it's not the stuff that they don't already know because you can go train that i don't care if the dog's eight or ten but it's you can teach an older dog new tricks but it's just how did they learn the prior behavior like how many reps how 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 strong is it is that ingrained in the dog that how much do you have to erase before drawing something new for them? And, and to me, that's like the biggest question mark. And you're not going to figure that out until you just get the dog home. And and I tell people, like, if you can just go out and do some fun runs, do some training sessions, maybe even spend a hunting season hunting them for a while, really get to know that dog's frame of mind. Because that, to me, my personal opinion, is the biggest I don't know, missed opportunity when you don't start from a puppy on up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like I have a friend right now looking for a new bird dog and um, he's interested in a Springer from the same breeder I got my my pup from. And, um, and you know, he was like, well, maybe he has a starter dog. I'm like, yeah, a starter dog from him might be good. He's going to definitely have it going the right way. They trial, you know, their, their dogs are title typically like they're, they know what they're doing for sure. Um, and, but, but to find, or be careful trying to find just a random one out there. I got very lucky with mine and we'll see how hunting season goes this year. Maybe in January, I'll be like, I wasn't so lucky. Um, I don't yeah. think that's going to be the case though, but you know, a puppy is really the best way to go. You have that blank slate and, um, and you can train the way you want. As long as you have the DNA there, it's, it's going to be and it, honestly with a spaniel. Um, um, if you have a one that's very well pedigreed, it's, it's almost turnkey. If you're just going to hunt, if you're going to trial hunt test, there's a lot more to it. But if you're just going to go out and hunt for some pheasants or some quail, you know, as we're hunting around here, that's, that it's not going to be that difficult. Yeah. Just go out and have fun. Yep. So pheasant and quail, you know, people listening to this, you know, what you just said earlier on, especially the upland hunters in your area with labs. I mean, obviously the snake river kind of has a historic, you know, waterfowl, uh, zone to it, but even outside of the waterfowl requirement or, or passion that some people have within that area, labs are the pheasant dog. Like I know mm-hmm. there's plenty of people with pointing dogs that are like, my dog hunts pheasants just fine. I'm sure I know I've hunted pheasants with my own dogs. Yes. I know pointing dogs can do it, but pheasants, especially late season and cattails, these slews, the real thick, nasty stuff it's a lab game. And if, if you're saying that it's not, you just haven't seen a lab on them yet. It's a completely different thing. What about the Springer? You know, do you focus in on pheasants or is it the quail that takes your priority? I'm just kind of curious how the Springer stacks up in that late season pheasant slew compared to a lab. Yeah. And, and considering the other, the birds we have here, so like pheasant um, and then California quail, Valley quail, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then there's some chucker up this way, obviously, if you wanted to get down into the Snake River, down to the Idaho, Oregon borders, really where the chucker is going to be, but that's about a three hour drive for me. So it's not really a day trip, but there's some here in the hills around here. Um, and then, so, so primarily it's pheasant. Um, the quail numbers have really dwindled. Pheasant numbers have not been great, but there's enough out there to where you can still have a good time with them. 
Um, and when it comes to labs, yeah, around here, the, the cover's thick. You're around a lot of water, um, whether it's the big rivers or in sloughs, cattails, like you're bringing up um, uh, inlets off the rivers where there's just a lot of, yeah, mainly cattails. A, a lab is really where it's at. But with the springers, um, my, my brother has two labs. My dad has a lab. I grew up, fed a couple labs and they um, they'll work hard. They they tend when it's warmer, though, they'll they'll tend to wear out quicker. Whereas a springer won't, you know, with a less coat, lighter bodies, they're going to last a lot longer when it's warmer. And really where I'm at, it never gets terribly cold, um, maybe down in the 20s. I mean, it can get really cold and a kind of a freak uh, cold snap, but down in the 20s, maybe and during the day in the 30s and 40s. So it's never like so cold where the springer's like, I'm done. Like it's too cold for me. Um, not a lot of snow, just every once in a while we'll get some snow, but it'll melt in a few days typically. So, um, it's pretty mild when it comes to compared to like the Midwest or upper Midwest, especially. Um, so the Springer, I think is really great. And it's why I kind of went to them on top of them being a smaller flushing dog. And I definitely want to stay in the flushing dog side, but the, the, the labs, yeah, where they will excel is when it does get really cold, when they have to get in the water in December and January. Um, that's going to be much happier with the lab. Um, and I think maybe the disposition on a lab when you have them at home, they're going to, on average, be be a little more calmer, a little more of a family dog in the Springer. Although so far, the Springers have been great um, in that respect, well, at least for me. I, I've heard the same about Springers, but I've also heard it. It's the same, you know, regardless of whichever breed you're talking about. You find the right line, you find the right pairing. Uh, if you really prioritize that off switch then you can find it within the Springers. But I've also heard, you know, there's plenty of crackhead Springers out there that uh, make your, make you want to pull your hair out. So <laughs> for sure. So you, you say that, you know, pheasant is, is your main focus because a quill dwindled, you got a little bit of a drive to chucker. What's your preference though? Like if you had your choice to go hunt, what are you chasing? Uh, if you had to pick one out of the three, it's pheasant. Um, that's what since i was like four or five following my dad and grandpa around um with my bb gun you know it would be they're chasing pheasant and that's what if we you know they came home with the limit that was that was awesome and that was so exciting um even before i was really hunting with them um so for me it's it's nostalgia and, and you, i don't think you can really beat a pheasant flush um that big cackle and they get out in front of you and it's such a big bird um it, it's it's tough to beat for me um, we really only hunted when I say we, like my, my dad and brother, sister, and I we really all hunted this area. We are this weekend actually traveling out to Montana. So we're going to see our first, hopefully sharp tails. Um, going to see our first hunts. Really. We've never been around that. So maybe my answer will change after next week. I'm not sure, but, um, uh, you know, around here, I haven't seen quail in a while. So for, it's not really fresh in my head, but, um, it is fun when you get into a covey of quail and can kick them around, but I still think it's the pheasant for me. You'll have to let me know how it compares, especially on huns. Cause this year, man, it's, it's a, it's a nice freaking year for huns. And this isn't just Montana. This is like, you just head West. Well, East in your case, but <laughs> yeah, you head out in that <laughs> yeah. general area, that region of the country and huns are just on fire this year. And they're, and they're a lot of fun. Uh, I'm curious, Chucker, you know, if you go the three hours to the Chucker Hills, I'm wondering if you if you would enjoy it. Have you gotten to do Chucker with pointing dogs as opposed to flushing dogs yet? Only probably accidentally. I said when I was a kid, my dad had English pointers um, before he switched over to labs. Um, and I think we ran across a couple, but they weren't like typical Chucker country that you think of up on a hillside um they're kind of like they happen to be where we were at on a rock pile or something 
Um, I haven't, so I haven't really hunted over pointers in the traditional sense with, with Chucker. Uh, there are some hills around here pretty close within an hour, half hour drive that there's definitely some Chucker there. Went out last year after um, pheasant and the quail season closed. There was like one more weekend of Chucker open. So I went out to look and we kind of found where some definitely were, but couldn't run across them. So I think this year we're going to focus, spend a few more, few more weekends on Chucker and see how that goes. Um, I'm not sure how it's going to go with the flushing dog. It seems to be a pointing dogs game. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, my Springer says, and I, I, both of them will stay very, very close. They're always looking back at me, never get further than like maybe 30 yards away. So I think I can keep them in, in gunshot, but um, I'm curious to see how it goes. I need to find some friends with some uh, pointers, some pointing breeds and, and see <laughs> if we can chase them that way. Well, it, it's funny. That's that's why I asked. You know, I recently just got back from my first chucker experience too, and I I can see how the flushing dog on a chucker could be. I, obviously, you can do it, but the the thought, and again, very limited experience here. But with ch- in the chucker hills, some pretty rough terrain. It's a lot of very steep terrain in a lot of senses, and so like if you're having to walk. To every location that you think a chucker might be at for your flushing dogs to get birdie and kick them up so you can shoot them, that chucker hunting is not going to be particularly enjoyable as much as maybe just being able to cast your dog and send them out and let them check off all the objectives without you having to walk all the way up the mountain or down and back up. And and it just that's why I was curious if you've actually done it with a pointing dog and you could kind of compare the two. Yeah, no, and I'm 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 also fortunate in the one spot I'm, I'm thinking of that we checked out last year. Um, the road l- runs along the top of the ridge. So you can drive along, work down, back up, <laughs> drive along, find like, oh, there's a good. Lo-. So I'm hoping that's my saving grace, but uh, it'll be fun to try something different. We'll we'll see how it goes. I'm, I don't have a lot of high hopes. Like I'm not I'm not uh, thinking we're going to go crazy on Chucker with with Springer Spaniels, but uh, we'll see. So you mentioned some trialing, you know, if you want to go into some trialing, there's some more training in that. Is that something that you've, uh, has appealed to you? Have you attempted it before? Do you have any interest in trying it in the future? So when I was a kid, my dad trialed our English pointers and I would go, I'd go with him to almost everyone. I loved it. Like I love going out and seeing all the dogs and all the work going into it. But as an adult, like I'm, I'm not a competitive person. Like if I play golf or go trap shoot, I'm, I'm not keeping score. Like I just want to go have a good time. And so um as a kid if you asked me that as a teenager i'm like yeah when i'm when i'm a grown-up i'm gonna go field trial i'm gonna give all these dogs i'm gonna field trial them all we're gonna go around the country but as an adult now it's like i i just want to go out and walk behind my dog and see what happens i really don't want to get too deep into that i will be honest though when i when i when i was waiting for my puppy to come in i was i was researching it all and thinking maybe i can do all this but once i have it, it's like you know i'm just gonna go out and enjoy the hunt and not get too deep into that but um, like I said, getting dogs from trial lines, at least on the spaniel side, I think there's kind of a special niche there. Um, if you're if the if you're if you're looking at a cocker or a springer and they come from really good field trial stock, it's gonna make them pretty much turnkey for hunting, um, which is different than I think maybe a lab or or the the pointing or versatile breeds. Like with a lab, like their trials and hunt tests are mostly around marking and retrieving, which doesn't translate super well into upland hunting. Like it does. Obviously, those skills are important in upland hunting, but that's more duck and goose and and um more waterfowl type stuff so but the but the, the spaniel trials are are essentially upland hunting right it's 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 flushing retrieving um it's it's the whole thing so i think there's kind of a, a cool thing with with how it works out for them and looking at field trial lines 
No, absolutely. You're just in it for the experience and having fun. And yeah, it's it's amazing how many times, especially down here in my my neck of the woods, you, you talk to people that own own labs and and they don't even realize that labs are flushing dogs. And and I mean to be fair, like yes, labs they flush, but they they flush different than a a cocker or a springer, right? Like yeah. you know, cockers and springers will essentially launch a bird up for you. Yeah. Uh, a lab will just kind of sweep and just kind of nose them. I mean, some of them are a little different than others, but like just the the flushing action is a little different on a lab when you compare it to an english cocker or a springer it's it's true and um you know hunting over labs for so long and still when my brother brother and i go out we have our his labs and my springers and and um it's when we watch the labs you see them get birdie right like they're just trotting along sniffing the smell and all of a sudden you can tell they're birdie their nose is on the ground they're sniffing real hard they're zigzagging and you're thinking okay they're on a rooster when i first forgot the springer it's like she's always looks birdie like she's always moving like that the whole time my brother's had her asking me like how do you know when she's birdie i'm like i guess we're gonna find out maybe she goes even faster I, i'm not sure i this is a surprise to me too like she's just constantly wanting to work so um no complaints in that um and luckily she has the stamina to to, to do that for a long time while we're walking but but uh it is it is different like you think a flush is kind of a flush you're like yeah they get out there they get a bird in the air for you but um no there's definitely some differences for sure that's awesome. So, uh, talk to me about learning how to train these dogs yourself. Like you said, they kind of come mm -hmm. out of the box. That's the beautiful thing about flushing dogs where it's like, yeah, you, you, you gotta still in, input the obedience or the, or the constraints, I guess, uh, the boundaries within your house and your lifestyle with them. It's no different than any other dog, but at least in the field, it's, it's a little bit more free. It's just kind of like, hey, just stay within gun range of me. Ultimately, yeah. that that's really it. And then you just go out and have fun. And then it's up to you if you want to church it up or, or put different, you know, trial qualities, as you referred to it earlier on them, then you can. But, you know, obviously talking about somebody that's just in, in it for the experience, was there any real big challenge or, or I don't know, concern as you kind of ventured into the springers and decided to train these dogs yourself? The the big thing with them is is really like keeping them interested in you. And I think a lot of that is just in them genetically. Like they want to please you. When we're hunting, she's like always looking back at me constantly like, hey, are you still there, dad? What are we doing? You still here? One time, um, one of her first hunts, probably her, maybe her second hunt, she was, she like lost sight of me. Like she was on the other side of six and trees and she couldn't see me. And uh, my brother was on the other side and he was like, she's freaking out trying to get back to you. Like she needs to, she needs to see you. And she saw me the other side and she was cool. And that was kind of a learning thing for her. Like I might lose sight for a minute. It's fine. And she got better as the season progressed. The big thing too, is, is that we, that we utilize a lot in the Spanish world and really a lot of the, a lot of the bird dog world are place boards. So I invested in a handful of Cato boards pretty early and and to place a lot and learn place and use that to train retrieving, coming back to retrieving. Cause you know, like a lot of even labs, they're, they're retrievers and, and spaniels definitely like to retrieve as well. But if you throw something out to a puppy, they're, they're not going to bring it right back to you right away. Like you have to build that up from, you know, in the hallway and the same kind of things you would do with, with any kind of dog to get them to retrieve. But those place boards are huge. If they love being on their place board, you can train, come back from retrieving right away here really fast. Um, hup really well. You, you teach them when they get on the place board, you're going to hup. You, you, you work that into it. You, first, it's just, you got a paw on the place board. Great. And you work that up too. You have to be sitting on the place board calmly and then you get the reward for it. 
Um, and eventually the place board, at least for me, I'm not sure if this is true for everyone, but it goes away. Um, and it turns into all those behaviors just happen. And it's kind of keyed into their heads that this is what we do. I, I come when you when you yell here and I fetch when you yell fetch. And when I say, when you say hop, I, I set my butt down um, and wait for something else. And that's really from my experience yeah. so far, um, not getting into the trial world or the hunt test world. That's really all I've needed. Um, and they're already, like I said, the DNA is already there for them just to stay close. It's really, unless you really want to put a lot of work in and all oh, I pretty much only had flushers my entire life. I could see maybe when the kids move out someday, I have some more time. I may get a Brittany or something in that world. Um, but and see what that's like but it's right now without having a lot of time on my hands it's nice to have essentially a turnkey dog just to take out and, and go hunting and have a good time yeah now i'd say that's a fair point that makes a lot of sense and i mean kind of staying in this same vein you know on all these profile episodes i ask two of the same questions to everybody and and one of which is i always like to hear what what's the first thing that comes to your mind when i say tell me something you screwed up you know give me a relatable experience that we've all screwed up training our own dogs but give me one that stands out into your head to where yep i screwed that up i'm not gonna try that again or maybe the next time i do it i'm gonna change it a little bit yeah i would say the biggest thing is is indoor manners in in the house manners um, like I said, the hunting was, was not that difficult, all those kinds of skills. And also those are the things that when you're waiting on a puppy, that's the things you're reading about online. That's what you're buying books on is how do I train it to do all these things around, around hunting instead of thinking about how do I make it so it doesn't drive my family nuts? Like, you know, these are all high energy dogs. We'd like it or not. They're going to be higher energy than a non-hunting dog or a non-working dog. And with the puppy, the, the Springer, the first one I got as a puppy, she was a bit of a terror in the house at the beginning. It was just like, I, I got to put her in her crate. Like she, she's running laps around the house and I take her outside, try to wear some energy off and take her on long walks and take her and take her and let her run. And it doesn't matter. She wants to keep going. And I know that'll come with age. <laughs> and she's still, I can see it now tapering off. And I think our, our new dog that already has this awesome on off switch out of the blue. I, she's obviously helping because she's seen that the younger dog, the one I had first, is seeing the older dog like get more attention and get more things um, by being super calm. And she's docile out really fast. So it's cool to see that. But that's the big thing I would say for anyone getting a new bird dog. Um, make sure if it's going to be a house dog, which a lot of us, that's the case. Uh, make sure that it can be a house dog. Like it can be, but make sure you're putting the work in just like you're doing for retrieving and scenting and all the other things you're doing. Put the work in to be a house dog. Learn manners inside. Um, tough, but I think that's. Yeah. That's key. Yeah. So that way you get to keep your, your bird dog and get new ones in the future. And the family is not protesting. You'd be like, I don't want another one of those crazy things. Yeah. I, and I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, it, it, it's a common thread from profile to profile. How often you ask for, give me your biggest screw up. And, and, you know, a lot of people listening to this might think it's something I screwed this up in the field. I'll screw this up in force fetch, And that does pop up, but it's amazing how often what you just described comes out to where it's it's the foundational stuff. It's the stuff in the house. It's the day to day because at the at the end of the day, we live with these dogs much more than we hunt them. We live with them inside the house and spend more time with them in the house, even more so than we do outside on a you know average basis. You know everybody's a little different right. in that regard, but uh, you know if you have a dog that just makes you want to punch yourself in the face when you're hanging out with them in the house like that that gets a little you know anxiety inducing i guess is the nicest way of putting it uh the the second question that i like to ask everybody is 
it, you know, you've listened to the podcast for a while. Is there a certain episode, guest, or topic that really stands out to you that you particularly enjoyed, or maybe it helped you in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, really any of the Jordan Quack episodes. Um, you know, with him, him having Conkers, it translates well to Springers I and mean, they're very, very similar dogs. Yeah, those I, I listen to over and over again. And I'll have those like downloaded on my phone just to have them there. When I'm like thinking about new ways to train, new ways to think about the dogs, it's like, all right, I'm going to listen to a few more of, of those episodes. And there's always <laughs> right. something new I hadn't picked up in the past. He gets so much information in there. Um, and it seems very natural to him. And, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe it, you know, I'll work behind it too. But like the way his brain seems to approach uh, training spaniels, it takes a lot of rest of us, a lot of work to get to that point to go, oh, yeah. That makes sense. Like he had one on um, on getting your dog to be steady, which I don't worry terribly about. I'm usually hunting by myself or with family that I we're all being very safe and not worried about like the dog getting in the way of shooting. But um, his thing was, you know, most people when they go to steady their dog, no matter the breed, they'll restrain the dog and then drop out the retrieving item, and the dog has to like learn to stay there. But his thing was, no, put the dog on hup, have it sit, and then drop a tennis ball and. If the dog moves, pick it back up until it figures out, oh, I have to sit here and then I get the retrieve. And like just doing that in the reverse way of, oh, no, that's 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 a positive reinforcement. The dog wants the retrieve very badly. And he said he didn't start it until the dog was like 10 or 11 months old. And so I did that with our, our new Springer, who I don't think she had much of that at all. And I had both dogs on Hup in the yard, just in the yard and dropped a tennis ball. And my younger Springer already knew this game. And she was just like, all right, we got to sit here. And the other one started walking towards me. I picked it back up. And then I did that twice before she was just sitting there staring at the ball waiting. I'm like, oh, man, Jordan Hart comes through again. So, um, yeah. yeah, definitely all of those episodes. Anytime you can get him on, I love having him <laughs> on because there's always new things he's talking about that always blow my mind. Yeah, I, I, I always love having Jordan on, especially, I mean, even outside the the flushing dog uh, topic. You know, he he's uh, he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to just dog training in general and people really like his episodes and and i'm hopefully uh linking up with him in person here in a few weeks hopefully i'm doing a northwood swing and and we're, we're gonna try and make it to where maybe we link up and maybe do an in-person podcast or something we haven't gotten to do that before but uh, i always love catching up with jordan in, in terms of that but you know it, it the example that you give i like that example as well that stood out to me when i was talking to him and and really if you take the tennis ball out of it and the, and the quote-unquote retrieve out of it, what you just described is what we talk about doing with your food dish, right? It's just like, oh, you're going to stay here on place or sit or whoa, whatever, whatever your poison is, pick your poison. And if you move, then just pick up the dog food. You know, you not don't restrain them, don't push them back, don't pull them back. I mean, you can do that. There's plenty of ways to do it that way. But I find, to your point, just pick up the dog food and they learn, oh, I moved so the dog food went away and yeah, it's, it's not rocket science. Like when you really start breaking all this stuff out, it's amazing how you say it in just a different way. Like you said, Jordan's approach and his way of thinking really resonates and is relatable to you. So that, I think that's the biggest important thing when you're trying to find quality information and resources is just finding the people that kind of think of it in the same light as you. Yeah, for sure. And I'm really lucky with our breeders. They're, um, uh, raw, I'll give him a shout out. Rocky's Kennels in Utah. If you need a, if you need a spaniel, Springer Cocker, they've been doing Springers for a long time. I think they're kind of a little newer to the Cocker game, but they're amazing. And they're, um, they're, they're in Northern Utah. Um, Josh and Gary, father, son, um, 
they they they're trainers they trial they know their stuff anytime i call you know this is a year and a half after after getting getting the puppy they're still just right there ready to go so uh ready to help with anything so couldn't recommend them enough if you need a dog um especially some good genetics and and some good backing in terms of you're gonna have help uh, moving forward you're not gonna be left out on your own yeah absolutely i love it well man as, as we start wrapping this up i know that you have kind of a a unique, I don't know what what you want to call it, a, a hobby, a way of paying it forward or just paying it back. However, which, whichever way you want to look at it, why don't you go ahead and like break it, break down what you do and, and offer up to people? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been um, probably in the pandemic, I started doing this when we're a lot of us were locked down and knew something to do. Um, I've always been into art and creating art. And I started making bird dog portraits, essentially digitally iPad, Apple Pencil, Procreate app, and and building out these, uh, you know, drawing, painting, however you want to call it, digital art, um, bird dog portraits, and really any dog. I did, we did my son's cat, and so I, <laughs> I did a friend's bird, um, but I really like to do the bird dogs. But essentially, b- build these portraits. I've been sharing them on s- social media for some time, uh, bird dog portraits on Facebook, and then uh, I have a shop. It's Bauer Mill. It's like my last name backwards, B-A-U-E-R-M-I-L-L dot shop said dot com dot shop um and there's a, a store and i can turn these into stickers or magnets or or whatever all through that through that shop people can buy them but essentially i i do it all for for free if someone wants a a dog their their dog drawn this ask you just more details on the facebook page but essentially you can send me some high quality pictures of your dog different lighting so i can see to make sure i get the coloring right for your dog and then i'll produce uh draw out one um no guarantees i can get to your dog i get a lot of requests and i pick out the ones i think are gonna maybe look the coolest i mean the most fun to draw definitely a hobby for me but then i ask in return that anyone who does want to pay or donate to pay to to donate to either pheasants forever quill forever or any kind of habitat organization like that some people who aren't hunters and end up getting their, their dog drawn they can donate if they're not into or know about pheasants forever or any of those habitat organizations um to donate to your local uh, animal shelter and then anytime someone buys something on my site, there's a tiny bit of profit on it. And I take that and I donate that to our local actually animal shelter here to, to help them out. It never ends up being that much, but it's something um, kind of like what I said earlier with um, not getting into field trialing or hunt test. Um, if I turn it into work, I'm, I'm not going to enjoy it. If it's if I'm getting paid for it, I'm going to stop doing this. Like I'm not going to be drawing these anymore because now it's like another job to do as opposed to like, yeah. this is a hobby. I love doing this. I need some good content. This is a great way to get some content from people to draw these and, and people get um, a cool image of their dog, a cool portrait of their dog. And hopefully they can give back to uh, those habitat organizations or uh, animal shelter to, to help uh, help those out because they always could use it. Awesome, man. I, I love it. Anybody interested, check the show notes uh, to this episode and I'll have the the link to where, you know, they can go, you can go to the Facebook page or website and uh, look into that. But it's, I always love talking to people that have really kind of unique abilities and and just different things that they offer up the world, you know, especially the portraits and the artistic side. That resonates with me because I kind of know just how difficult and how much time can go into it and then what you're doing to where you're not taking payment for it because you don't want to lose its meaning, so to speak. Uh, You know, that that's just admirable in a lot of ways. And the fact that, you know, it's like, hey, if you want to give something, go give it to to, you know, a conservation organization or your local uh, shelter. That that means a lot. So 
Uh, yeah, anybody interested in that, click the uh, link in the show notes. Matt, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story, talking Springers. I don't get to talk Flushing Dogs very often, but I always enjoy it when I get to. Great. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's been a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.